Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been with us the last several weeks, this is our final installment of our Christmas series that we have entitled His Story or History. And if you haven't went back and listened to part one through three, I think you should do that and then check this out. But if you have, sit right here. I'm super excited to end this epic story today. Now, if you remember in chapter one, Israel was at its peak. King David was at the pinnacle of his kingdom. He was in his prime. And then in chapter two of our story, uh, Israel, King David had died and his son Solomon had taken over the kingdom. And what we learned in chapter two was that as the king went, so went the kingdom. And Solomon's failures ultimately uh, divided the country and the subsequent kings that followed between Israel and Judah, the two divided parts of this country, would ultimately fall deeper and deeper into idolatry, rebellion and despair until ultimately the judgment of God would exile the people of Israel and of Judah to Assyria and Babylon. And while in exile, they were in the dark. They were torn from their homeland as Pastor Roger so wonderfully put it last Sunday. But in exile, they were reminded of God's goodness through the prophet's words. Now today in chapter four, the people of God find themselves back home. They find themselves back in the place where they started Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed. Now this second temple is not as glorious as the first, but it will do. And the people of God are in their homeland, yet they are still occupied by a foreign power. This time, not Assyria, not Babylon or anyone, not Alexander the Great or any one of his generals, but ultimately the great power, Rome. And so the day before Jesus's birth, God's people find themselves in their homeland, yet still occupied by a foreign power with no king. Now, from the, la from the moment the last Old Testament prophet Malachi spoke to the moment the angel Gabriel appears on the scene declaring the advent of the Messiah, God's people were living in darkness. You see, biblical scholars call this period of time the intertestamental period. If you want to get more dramatic, it's even been called the 400 years of silence. 400 years between the last events of the Old Testament to the first events of the New Testament. 
400 years with no prophets, no words from the Lord, and 400 years with no inspired scripture. And so without any new light of revelation coming from the word of the Lord, like Pastor Roger told us last week, the faithful were holding on to words from the past while living in the dark. Promises made to Abraham in Genesis 22. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed holding on to promises made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Holding on to words from the prophets like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord our righteous savior. Words from prophets like Isaiah, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. What sustained the faithful in their present darkness? It was God's historic faithfulness and his covenant love. I said this in week one of the sermon series, my son loves to play on Saturdays with his dad. It's our Saturday tradition. It's one of the highlights of my week and it's one of the highlights of his week. You see, all week long, my son anticipates that I will set a few hours aside to play Mario Kart. I'm sure my son's watching right now. He probably is perked up and listening, son, I love you. He can't wait to play Mario Kart and he's really good. We ride our bikes around the neighborhood. We go up and down the dirt tracks in the park. One of his favorite things to do. We also like to work on Home Depot projects together. We've made a boat, we've made a car, but Saturdays are our days. You see, this is my promise to him. Throughout the week, I am busy with work and I will spend time with him, but it's Saturday where he gets a unique amount of my uh, uh, consistent presence and we spend multiple hours together and this is my promise to him. And that promise fills him up with joyful expectation because he believes that I'm going to do what I said I will do. Listen, where does that belief come from? 
Right? How can my son be so excited and, and so expected and so confident? Where does that belief come from? What makes him so confident in his father's words? This is key. My son's confidence is built upon the character and credibility of his father. Philip trusts I will do with him in the future because I have faithfully kept my word in the past. This is what his story, history is all about. The root of all enduring obedience and sincere, sincere worship in the present is the belief of God's historic love in the past. I want to say that again. I got a little tongue tied, but the root or the source of all our enduring obedience and sincere worship in the present is the belief in God's historic love of the past. So today, as we reach the climax of his story with the advent of King Jesus, let us draw confidence from this historic fulfillment as we wait for our own future fulfillment of the arrival and the return of the king. Go with me in prayer and then we will begin this message. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Lord, our enduring obedience and sincere worship are simply reactions and responses to a God who is faithful, to a God who is loving, and to a God who does what he says he will do. Like my son, we anticipate joyfully your return, and that joyful anticipation is based upon the character of your promises in the past. So Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I would really love for you to take a moment to grab them and join me by turning to Luke chapter one. And we're going to read verses 31 through 35. And then we're going to turn the page over and we're going to continue to read Luke chapter two, verse one through seven. So again, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, 31 through 35, and then we'll jump to Luke chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 7. Now let me set the scene. After 400 years of silence, after 400 years of being at home, uh, but occupied by now the Roman government, after 400 years of not hearing from a prophet of the Lord, suddenly the angel Gabriel breaks through the darkness with an incredible message from the Lord. Gabriel says, behold. Now I want to stop before I continue to read because my heart has learned to get excited whenever I encounter the word behold in scripture. You see, behold means to stop and take a look, to pause and consider. 
It's much more than just a casual stare. Behold calls for us to take what is about to take place and place it at the center of our attention. Not out of fear or out of duty, but out of wonder and beauty of what is about to take place. You see, in the same way that we derive pleasure from watching the sun rise or the sun set, this angelic messenger Gabriel is inviting you and I to gaze with wonder at the coming of this sun. So he tells Mary in Luke chapter one, verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now flip over to chapter two. We're going to read verse one through seven. And it came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. If you look at the beginning of the book of Luke in chapter one, verse four, Luke indicates his purpose for writing this gospel. He says that you may have certainty. That's unwavering, un deterred, unshakable confidence that all these events that I'm writing about to you are grounded in time and are indeed a historical fact. Let me break down what I mean by grounded in time and historical fact. You see, leading up to the birth of Jesus, Luke tells us that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother and Mary's cousin, hid herself for five months. He tells us that the angel Gabriel visited Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gabriel informed Mary that Elizabeth was already six months 
pregnant. And after this angelic visitation, Mary went to be with Elizabeth and we're told that she stayed with Elizabeth three months. And then she, Mary, returned home before Elizabeth's child was born. Now I want you to see five months, six months, three months, Luke's precise recollection of the timing of these events indicates to his readers that he intends for them to take these events as nothing less than historical fact grounded in time. I love an observation that theologian R.C. Sproul makes concerning this narrative. You see, the opening lines of Luke chapter 2 begin with the Greek phrase, kai eganeto, kai eganeto. That means, and it came to pass. You see, everybody knows that a good fairy tale always begins with the phrase, once upon a time. We use this arbitrary statement with regards to time, because when it comes to myths and fairy tales, time is irrelevant. It really doesn't matter. But when it comes to the story of Jesus Christ, Kai Eganetto reveals Dr. Luke's intention for us to take these events as nothing less than historical fact. You see, a fairy tale will say once upon a time, but Dr. Luke says, and it came to pass. You see, there really was a Caesar Augustus. There really was a governor, Quirinius. There really was a Rome. There really was a Syria. There really was a census a registry taken in that time throughout the land. Luke demythologizes the narrative and sets his story in the context of history so that what he has already revealed to us is an undeniable fact. With that in mind, listen to what Luke reveals to us about this coming king. The angelic messenger tells this future mother that this coming son will bring with him five qualities. And so I want to take our time to unpack the five qualities of this son. I want to stop, stare, gaze, and behold at who this is that is breaking into the darkness and causing voices to sing and silence to be lifted. If you're taking notes, the first quality that we will find the angelic Gabriel telling Mary about this son. He tells him, you shall call his name Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation. Jesus Joshua, his name declares the purpose of his life and the intention of his mission. The entire story of redemptive history is 
fully and completely summarized in his name, Yahweh saves. You see, in his life, he will fulfill all righteousness and live perfectly pure before God. In his death, he will be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. Born to die, Jesus is God's holy solution to humanity's problem with sin. The angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. And then the angel tells Mary, he will be great. He'll bring a great salvation. He'll be a prophet greater than Moses. He will be our great high priest and God will give him a great name that is above all names. Yet, his greatness will not be measured by his rise to power, but by his embrace of weakness in his condescension and humiliation. I need to say that again, because there are many Christians that are watching that think that Christianity is going to achieve greatness by rising to power. But that is not the way of the upside down kingdom of Jesus. He will be. Be great, yet his greatness will not be measured by his rise to power, but by his embrace of weakness in his condescension and his humiliation. This son of God will put on human skin and it would have been humiliating enough for him to do that. And it would have been even more humiliating for him to not just come down and put on skin, but it would have been humiliating for God to be a king and to reign. Yet this king of kings will not be born into power and prestige, but to parents from nowhere with nothing. This heir of all things will not be born in a palace in a lap of luxury but in an animal's trough because there's no room at the inn. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Number three, and this is really big for those of you who've been following our sermon series, our journey. God will give to him the throne of his father, David. You see, he is the advent of Israel's ultimate hope. And he is the long-awaited manifestation of every prophetic word uttered. There, born in David's city to David's descendant, this son of David will be the fulfillment of God's promise to David. I'm going to say that again. There in David's city, Bethlehem, to David's descendant, Joseph. This son of David, Jesus, will be the fulfillment of God's promise to King David. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. God will give to him the throne of his father, David. 
Number four, now I want to warn you, this is a bit of a plot twist. This baby boy will not just be called the son of David, but he will be called the son of the most high, the son of God. Wow. This is the incarnation. This is the advent of God. This is the parousia. This is God himself putting on flesh and breaking into human history. You see, all previous kings have been born according to the flesh. Jesus, however, was not born by the union of a man and a woman, but by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, replacing the seed of a man. Equal to the father in all things. Jesus was from all eternity, the son of God, not just to be recognized as Israel's Messiah, but to be worshipped as nothing less than God himself. His name will be called Jesus because he will bring peace between God and man. He will be great, but not great in the way that you attain greatness. He will be given the throne of his father's David, that ancient promise fulfilled in this son. But he won't just be David's son. He'll be the unique son of the most high God. He will be God in the flesh. And finally, number five, and I love number five. I love this. And because he's more than just a man and more than just a king, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Because he is more than just a man and because he is more than just a king, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom to his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, I want you to look at this for a moment and I want you to combine the implications of his royalty and his divinity. I want to look at the implications of his royalty and divinity. Jesus then will become more than just Israel's hope, but he'll become the hope of the world. You see, his divinity ensures his eternity. Because he is God, his kingdom will last forever. It will go on and on and there will be no end. His divinity ensures his eternity. And because he is God, his kingdom will last forever. But watch this, his eternity will ensure its universality. Because he is eternal, the kingdoms of this world shall yet become the kingdom of Christ. Because he is divine, he is eternal. And because he is eternal, his kingdom that will last forever will outlast every king, every queen, every president, prime minister, kingdom and empire. 
Christ's kingdom will outlast the kingdom of men and he will reign forever. I love what Pastor John Piper has to say. Throughout history, the world seems to be moving away from monarchy to democracy. King and kingdom have lost their attractiveness because men are finite and sinful. That makes sense. I mean, even as we come off a presidential election here in the United States, in our democracy, a president is allowed to serve up to two terms, four years. And then there is another vote and then he gets another four years. And after that, guess what? He is done and the people decide. You see, we have a democracy, a beautiful democracy that takes into, uh, uh, that considers, takes into consideration the sinfulness and the, uh, the frailness and weakness of men, not allowing anyone to rise up in power for too long. And so we have checks and balances and we see that the westernized culture begins to move away from monarchy and move closer to democracy for the very reason that even men who don't believe in a God know that men are evil and sinful and selfish and vindictive. But I want you to imagine for a moment, what if there was a king who did everything right? What if there was a king with unlimited wisdom, unlimited power, but also who was infinitely good and infinitely loving towards his people. If there could be such a ruler with no weakness and no sin, then no wise or humble person would ever want to see democracy again. I want to finish this entire series the way that it began. You see, his story is about the advent of God. It's the story of Emmanuel, God with us, God among us. It's a story that will one day end with the people of God in the presence of God, experiencing the blessings of God for all time. This is Christmas. This is Advent. The God who was faithful is faithful. And he will do what he said he will do. Last week, Pastor Roger reminded us, what do you do when you find yourself in the dark? What has the faithful remnant of God done when they find themselves longing for that perfect king to come? Will they look back? 
And the word of God and the word of the prophets encouraged them until one day that angelic burst in the sky declared, the king has come. And now, 2020, going into 2021, looking back at a 2020 that was a disaster, hoping that 2021 might be different. The faithful of God, we do the same. We look back at a God who grounded in time, historically came and fulfilled the promise to David. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for us. And so we celebrate the birth of King Jesus and all the implications. And we anticipate in this season that he will come again and make all things new. I want to finish. I've been noticing the anticipation of the vaccination. Now, some of you might be anti-vaxxers and you might start commenting right now. I don't mean to go there. But notice the anticipation of the vaccination. In fact, I've seen news outlets saying hope is on its way in regards to the vaccination. Once this vaccine comes, it'll be like this miracle moment in which we can all kind of get back to normal. We'll be delivered from sickness, delivered from death, delivered from danger and harm. And we can begin to go out and go to restaurants and come back to church and love and hug each other. And this vaccination, this vaccine has been deemed hope is on its way. Hold on. As Christians, it's not the vaccination. It's the coming of Jesus Christ that we look forward to will be delivered from all death, all disease, all sickness, all decay. And so let us adore him and let us look forward to his return. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray if there's anybody right now who's listening to this message and they don't know you. They don't trust you. This all was a fairy tale and a myth to them, God, but they, they want to enter into this historic reality. They want to put their hope and their faith and their confidence, their trust in something greater because they have been hoping, trusting, and putting their faith in other things and they've been let down. I pray right now that they would put their faith in the historical Christ who came as a baby, who lived perfectly as a man, and who died a death for us. God, in that life, death, and in his resurrection, we put our hope, trust, and faith in you. One day, we will live too, and we could have the kind of hope that is eternal. So Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for this season. I thank you because you are our living hope. I ask that you would bless us, keep us in this time, and let us look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspiredchurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.